Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Story time. During my deployment in Afghanistan, I was assigned. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A task of assisting the operator flying the Raven, a small unmanned aerial vehicle equipped with an infrared camera, during nighttime operations. Our mission primarily involves searching for insurgents planting roadside bombs, a rather monotonous duty. However, one particular night, something peculiar caught our attention on the camera's feed. In the corner of the camera's view, we noticed a distinct circular hot spot. Intrigued, we maneuvered the Raven to obtain a better perspective, hoping to unravel the mystery of this featureless, intensely glowing sphere. Whether displayed in white and cold or black and hot, this enigmatic entity remained an impenetrable, solid black, unwavering for approximately five minutes. Then, abruptly, it swiftly descended, almost touching the ground as we flew at an altitude of around 160 feet above ground level. Just as swiftly, it ascended back into the sky, disappearing from the raven's range. Intrigued and perplexed, we immediately reported the sighting of this unidentified flying object, UFO, to the Tactical Operations Center, TOC. However, their response offered little satisfaction. They dismissed it as a mere glitch, stating that there was no corresponding satellite data in that specific area. Determined to investigate further, we turned to the footage recorded on our specialized Toughbook laptop. To our astonishment, when we reviewed the footage, we discovered a glaring omission. The five minutes encompassing the UFO sighting were conspicuously missing. It was as if those crucial moments had been deliberately erased or simply vanished into thin air. There is an expansive stretch of woods and forests near my house, a vast playground for exploration during my childhood. It was a common occurrence for my friends and me to venture into this realm, stumbling upon discarded items like clothing, gardening tools, and even a forgotten twister game. On one particular day, driven by curiosity and a sense of mischief, we decided to venture into the woods once again. As we roamed around, a rustling sound broke the tranquility of the surroundings. We dismissed it as some harmless animal, jokingly attributing the noise to their playful antics. However, the subsequent sound we heard was unlike anything we had encountered before, a prolonged, eerie sound reminiscent of accidentally stepping on a cat's tail. An eerie silence enveloped the forest, sending shivers down our spines. The stillness was so profound that the faintest sound would have echoed like a thunderclap. It was in that moment of eerie quietude that we beheld its presence. With startling agility, it darted past us on all fours, its bulging eyes fixated upon us. It stared directly into our souls, resembling a deer caught in the headlights of an approaching car. Frozen in fear, we lacked the instinct to fight or flee, only sheer terror gripped our beings. The creature lingered for a brief moment, turning its head with an unsettling motion when one of us dared to make a slight movement. In hindsight, 
Its visage seemed as if a wild animal had suffered the gruesome loss of its facial features, yet the fluidity of its movements was deeply unsettling. Emitting another spine-chilling noise, our peripheral vision caught a glimpse of a black bear in the distance. Without hesitation, the creature charged toward the bear, providing us the perfect opportunity to escape. We sprinted away with unmatched speed, propelled by adrenaline and the echoes of that creature's unsettling noise reverberating through our minds. From that day forward, I adamantly refused to set foot in those backyard woods ever again, haunted by the memory of that chilling encounter. I used to live in northern Wisconsin, a ways north of Minoqua. Our house was against a mostly endless chunk of forest and I used to go walking all day with my dog, some lunch, a compass, and a .22 just to plink away at squirrels or whatever varmint. One fine day I had ranged particularly far into a mossy low area with soggy ground. The forest had that eerie stillness that seems unnatural, that humans don't like. I came out into a clearing with a slightly raised area and saw a goddamn shanty town. It was this cobbled together town. I shit you not. Had a little main street and maybe seven to ten buildings. One of them was even two-story. I stayed still for a minute, and my dog knew to do the same, and just watched. I decided it was actually a nice place. The clearing let a little sunlight in. The shanties were decorated with those leftover carpet squares. I could see Christmas lights strung up probably for light not festive purposes. Nothing moved, no sounds. So I took a few steps in, gun in hand, not on shoulder. I leaned in the doorway to the first shack, it was well lit via some windows and it was clearly an apartment. Some candles, and a bunch of shitty magazines. It had a bed, a makeshift bookshelf and a makeshift kitchenette. There was a bit of uneaten food that had not yet rotted on the bookshelf. That last one really caught my attention. I usually go quietly in the woods but I hadn't been approaching with stealth in mind. Looked at my dog, saw a ridge of hair on his back. At this point I felt very foolish and conspicuous. Decided it was time to GTFO. My 22 wasn't going to stop anyone and it was of course a rifle, poor for close quarters against multiple moving targets. So me and the pooch noped the F out of there. After we were about 500 yards, we jogged for about 30 minutes just to gain distance. We made sure to cross a few streams and alter course a few times. Later in life I did a mission to go back there. This time I approached with stealth in mind, no dog, and a different gun. No shanty town, all gone. But I could still clearly see signs of where the shacks used to be, and their community fire pit. I assume they went deeper. As a police dispatcher, I had grown accustomed to the occasional strange or unexpected call, but this was unlike anything I had experienced before. It was late, and the station was quiet, with only a few of us working the night shift. The closed radio channel was rarely used, reserved for sensitive communications or emergencies. So when the sound of static broke through the silence, my curiosity was piqued. At first, the static was overpowering, drowning out any discernible words. My co-worker and I exchanged puzzled glances, 
wondering what could be causing such interference. But then, amidst the crackling noise, we both heard it, the faint, desperate voice calling for help. Help me, the voice pleaded, barely audible over the tumultuous static. It sent shivers down my spine, a chilling plea that seemed to echo through the room. We strained our ears, trying to make sense of the muffled words, but the interference made it nearly impossible. The minutes turned into hours as we listened attentively, hoping to catch more than those two haunting words. Each time the voice came through, it seemed to grow slightly clearer, as if fighting against the barrier of static. We were determined to uncover the source of this distress call, to assist whoever was in need. As the night wore on, my co-worker and I became more frustrated. We knew that every transmission sent over the radio was recorded, logged with the officer's radio identification. It was standard protocol, ensuring accountability and maintaining a record of all communication. Yet, when we searched for the recordings and logs, there was nothing to be found. It was perplexing. There should have been evidence of those transmissions, a digital trail to follow. But it was as if the recordings had vanished into thin air, erased from existence. We were thorough in our search, combing through the system, but it was as if the mysterious voice had never spoken at all. We shared our findings with the senior staff, hoping they could shed some light on the situation. To our surprise, they were aware of similar incidents that had occurred sporadically in the past. It seemed that this eerie voice had haunted a few dispatchers over the years, always managing to elude being captured on record. It was a phenomenon that defied explanation. I'm currently working as a park ranger, but before this, I had a job at a different park that I doubt I'll ever set foot in again after what I experienced there last year. During the day, the park was bustling with visitors, and I would conduct numerous walkthroughs and tours. However, my favorite part of the job was when everybody left at night, and I had the entire park to myself. Being surrounded by nature made me the happiest, so this job was a perfect fit for me. One day, an older lady came into the park and asked for a tour. She stood out as the kindest person I had ever met, and she seemed to genuinely enjoy my company. For some reason, she prolonged the tour, calling me a child throughout, but in a way that seemed endearing to me. We connected on a deep level and shared a passion for nature. Spending the whole day with her felt wonderful, and there was something warm about her presence that I couldn't quite explain. As darkness fell, the lady began to grow melancholic, and I asked her about it. She confided in me that she felt saddened by our time together coming to an end. I reassured her that she could come back to the park anytime she wanted and talk to me. She expressed her gratitude and said she hoped for another chance to visit, but in her voice and eyes, I sensed a belief that she would never see me again after that night. It was a somber moment and I wondered if she was ill or facing some other life-threatening situation, but I refrained from prying as it would have been impolite. She mentioned wanting to show me something and led me to a secluded area of the park where a beautiful fountain stood. She explained that the fountain, made of marble, was a cherished creation of her grandfather. To her, it was the most magnificent fountain ever built. As a child, she would often come to its edge and gaze at the water, imagining what her future would hold. However, 
She never anticipated it would turn out the way it did. Despite her inner calm and peace, the sadness lingered in her eyes. In a tender moment, she cupped my face in her hands and expressed how proud she was of me, how everything had unfolded just as she had hoped. Her words confused me, but I hesitated to ask for clarification. She then said it was time to say goodbye and walked behind the fountain. Curiosity got the better of me, and I followed her, only to find that she had vanished into thin air. It was bewildering because there was no trace of the old lady anywhere. I approached the reception and asked if they had seen an older lady matching her description, but they denied the presence of any such visitor that day. The whole situation felt incredibly eerie, but I pushed it aside and carried on with my day. Fast forward two months later, I was flipping through my mother's photo album and stumbled upon a picture of the old lady. I was taken aback and immediately inquired about her identity. What my mother told me shook my reality and memory to the core. She revealed that the woman in the photo was my great-grandmother. The revelation left me questioning everything, even to this day. I still believe that something inexplicable occurred during that encounter. The following day, I quit my job. If I ever come across that fountain again, I fear what the truth behind the old lady's words might be, and I'm too afraid to find out if what she told me was indeed true. Eric Johnson was a man who belonged to two worlds, the bustling realm of his family and the serene depths of the ocean. Tall and muscular, with a weathered face that spoke of countless hours spent under the sun, Eric possessed a rugged charm that matched his adventurous spirit. His salt and pepper hair framed a pair of piercing blue eyes that reflected his deep love for the sea. The ocean had always called to him, captivating his imagination with its mysteries and enchanting beauty. But hidden beneath Eric's love for the ocean was an unyielding fear, an unspoken dread of the unknown lurking within the deep. This fear had its roots in a childhood incident etched into his memory. As a young boy, Eric had witnessed a terrifying creature emerge from the shadowy depths of the ocean, its monstrous form haunting his dreams ever since. Despite this deep-rooted phobia, Eric couldn't resist the pull of the ocean's allure. It was as if an invisible force beckoned him to confront his fears, to unravel the mysteries that had plagued him for so long. And so, with trepidation and determination intertwined, Eric made the decision to embark on an expedition to an uncharted region of the ocean, an endeavor that would test his courage in ways he couldn't have imagined. Accompanied by a team of marine researchers and fellow divers, Eric descended into the watery abyss. The journey began with a mix of excitement and unease, as strange and foreboding signs began to reveal themselves. A missing research vessel, whispered tales of bizarre occurrences in the deep, and eerie oceanic phenomena that defied rational explanation, all of these cast a haunting aura over the expedition. But it was during a routine dive, beneath the weight of unfathomable depths, that Eric's worst nightmares manifested into a chilling reality. As he maneuvered through the dark currents, a sudden shift in the water alerted him to a presence unlike anything he had encountered before. His heart raced as he turned to face the behemoth before him, a creature of colossal proportions, dwarfing any known species that inhabited the ocean's depths. Its massive form, resembling a monstrous shark from the pages of ancient legends, 
sent shivers down Eric's spine. Its cold, malevolent eyes pierced through the murky waters, locking onto his own, freezing him in place. The creature possessed a primal power that surpassed even that of the mighty white shark, an embodiment of pure terror that awakened every dormant fear within Eric's soul. In a frenzy of violence, the monstrous beast attacked the team, its ferocity leaving no room for escape. Panic consumed the divers, their futile attempts to ward off the creature only feeding its insatiable hunger. The once unified team became a scattered chaos, their cries swallowed by the unforgiving depths. But Eric, driven by an instinct for survival and a desperate will to defy his fate, found himself doing the unimaginable. He became the antithesis of his fellow divers, moving with calculated precision, dodging the creature's relentless assaults. His mind, fueled by fear and adrenaline, deciphered a pattern in its relentless attacks, a pattern he exploited to his advantage. Finally, a moment of opportunity arose. Eric seized it, swimming with every ounce of strength left in his battered body. In a burst of sheer willpower, he broke free from the clutches of the abyssal horror, ascending towards the surface where salvation awaited. Gasping for air, his heart pounding, Eric pulled himself onto the safety of the waiting boat. He glanced back at the haunting abyss, knowing deep within his soul that he would never return to those treacherous depths again. The harrowing encounter had forever altered his perception of the ocean, transforming it from a sanctuary of wonder to a realm of nightmares. As the boat sailed back to port, Eric carried with him the scars of his encounter, an indelible mark etched upon his spirit. In this report, I wish to remain completely anonymous. I'm a police officer and I had a sighting of a strange humanoid werewolf-looking creature while patrolling a rural section of Baxter County, Arkansas. Another officer had spotted the creature at a four-way stop, and I was sent to investigate. When I arrived at the location, the peculiar-looking humanoid emerged and started walking across one of the roads, disappearing quickly into the nearby brush. As it turns out, this area has a long history of werewolf-type activity along with unexplained animal deaths and disappearances. Unfortunately, I didn't have enough time to assess the creature's size before it vanished into the wooded area. I conducted a search of the location and found several sets of tracks on the dirt roads, but due to recent rainfall, they were not clear enough to determine what might have been responsible. This report is the only official complaint from an officer thus far, although other officers from the same department have come forward to share their knowledge of the area. One officer even mentioned that his own grandfather had told him about a werewolf-like creature living in this vicinity. Due to its remote location, very few people ever venture there, and there had been no other reports until now. Since then, a string of stories about strange and disturbing creatures has emerged from around the world. Some reports, including those on sites like Reddit, mention sightings of werewolf-like creatures. While this is not a new phenomenon, as there have been reports of such beings for centuries in America, one incident stood out among the others. The incident involved a mother and child who witnessed what they believed to be a Bigfoot near their home just outside of town. They managed to position themselves with a camera and started recording. What followed would be familiar to those who have seen werewolves before. 
The description given resembled a dog or wolf suffering from mange, which causes hair loss and other physical ailments. However, there was an important note, the apparent foul smell emitted by this sickly-looking animal. Yes, dogman, Bigfoot, and werewolves have all been associated with strong odors, and this particular sighting seemed highly likely, considering the location. Similar sightings have been reported in these parts, and the locals are aware of what they might be encountering. Another report involved two separate officers, each with their own stories about encounters while patrolling this specific part of Arkansas. Most of these encounters took place at night, and although there is little information available about them, witnesses commonly describe the creatures as being around 5 to 6 feet tall, gaunt, and thin. Glowing eyes are also frequently mentioned, which seems to be a common characteristic among these types of encounters. One officer shared that while in the same area, he observed something moving swiftly into the trees. At first, he thought it might be an animal, but then he heard another report over his radio about a Bigfoot sighting nearby. This proximity unsettled him, making him uncertain about what he had truly witnessed. In yet another report, a pilot flying his small plane around 5 am encountered what appeared to be a massive, hairy creature. Several other pilots in the rural region of Arkansas had also spotted it. According to the officer, residents of these areas have been sharing stories for years about encountering these strange creatures, and some claim to know people who hunt them. Among the most intriguing encounters, I found one involving a police officer from Cowling County. He responded to an animal complaint near the town of De Quincey one evening. As he arrived at the scene, he saw two sets of eyes peering from behind a nearby tree, emitting an extremely bright glow. This was his first sighting of what he believed to be a huge canine-like creature. However, when it opened its mouth and let out another worldly growl, he backed away in fear. The officer described the creature as approximately 8 feet tall covered in dark smoky fur. Lastly, the final sighting occurred on Highway 165 near Wilmer, where another officer had responded to a call about children claiming to have seen a Bigfoot or werewolf-like figure. According to their description, this entity had very long arms, hands resembling those of a raccoon or a human, and it was enough to frighten the officer away from the scene. I work as an EMT for an ambulance company. EMS has always been full of superstitions and most of us believe in the supernatural on account of all the crazy gruesome stuff we get to see on any given shift. Every company, every EMT, every firefighter has a story about the estation that is haunted or something that happened to them that can only be explained as paranormal. For the company I work at, we have about five stations, each with their own stories. Only one or two truly scary stories though. Mostly things like employees seeing shadows out of the corner of their eyes, getting uneasy feelings in the stations, or hearing an unexplained knock, voice, or being hissed or growled at occasionally. The station I work at was no different. The station I work at is our main station, meaning that is where we keep all of our extra resupply. So it is not uncommon for various crews to be going in and out of the station at all hours of the day. It was common knowledge that the ambulance bay was creepy at night. And people report hearing voices, 
footsteps, or ambulance doors opening and closing out in the garage. Now, I've worked at this station for two years and I've hears these things but it's always been easy to dismiss this as my partner doing something out in the bay or another crew doing some late night resupply. The only experience I've had there that I couldn't explain was I was distinctly growled at in the garage late one night. At that time I quickly realized that the only person in the bay was me and I certainly didn't growl at myself, and quickly left. That was all I ever experienced there and for the most part felt very comfortable at that station. Until last night. The station is small and consists of a living room with a kitchenette attached to a hallway. This hallway lead to the garage on one side, the bathroom on the other, and at the end of hallway is a door leading to the junior's bedroom, which you can then walk through to get to the SR's bedroom. If you go into the garage, there is a staircase that leads into the attack that stretches above the entire living quarters of the station. Me, Junior, and my partner, Senior, are dead asleep in our respective bedrooms. All the doors closed. When I am awoken to all these loud banging noises and the walls shaking, I realize that this banging isn't just banging, but actually running. Something, huge, heavy, and fast, is stomping and running around in the attack upstairs. It is stomping and running so loud it is quite literally shaking the walls. Whatever it was must have been huge to have been making sounds this loud. Then, it gets faster. It's so fast and loud. It is running across the entire length of the attack. It is moving faster than anything can move. The stomping is happening one right after another. It almost sounded like there were 10 people up there or a creature with too many legs running right above my bed. It's so fast. It's too fast. I'm sitting upright in my bed now, huddled in the corner of the bedroom absolutely horrified. I get this deep, visceral, primal feeling of dread. Almost like what prey must feel like when they are being hunted. And suddenly, it's as if a thought from somewhere else is placed into my mind, and I just know with every fiber of my being that it knows that I am awake and that I know it's there. Like sick twisted version of that Spider-Man meme. In between the stomping and the running I can hear this barking, whirling sound. It's hard to describe. Like a grunt mixed with the sound of wind. It is making this sound as it is running. I realize that it is moving so fast I can hear the wind it is creating swooshing and whipping around it and it is grunting as it is running. So now I very silently get up and I walk over to the SR bedroom door and try to open it but it's locked. I feel as though I can't make a noise or it will come through into the station and kill me. I'm quietly knocking on the door, I'm crying, pleading for my partner to let me in. I'm thinking, this is so loud, there's no way she is asleep, but she is. She's out cold and I don't get a response. I decided that my partner had the right idea and I crept over to the junior bedroom door, separating my bedroom from the hallway that leads to the garage and the rest of the station and locked the door. So I silently creep back over to my corner in the bed with my blankets and begin to text her. It is 1.45 and I am begging her to wake up over text and describing what I am hearing. She's not answering so I text her fiancé and ask him to call her and wake her up but he's not answering either. It is at this point I decide to text my mom. As I'm sitting there you get a similar feeling to before, an intense dread, 
a stark realization of pure truth. It doesn't even feel like my own thought, more like a pace of truth was just slipped to me by the universe. The thing upstairs is not human. I'm explaining to my mom what I am hearing. All these loud swishing wind sounds and stomping and running. Then I hear it run down the stairs. When I tell you my heart stopped and my soul left my body. When I heard coming down the stairs my stomach dropped into my ass and I was nauseous. I genuinely thought I was going to die. I was waiting for it to start pounding on the door and I had never been more thankful in my life because I thought to have locked it earlier. I was waiting for screaming or the door to start shaking or something. But it never came. It ran, impossibly fast and hard back up the stairs. Up the stairs, down the stairs, across the attack, down the attack, above my head in circles, down the stairs, up the stairs, down the stairs, across the attack, down the stairs. It is going all over. 2. Fast. So now I'm absolutely hysterical on the phone with my mom. No one ever prepared me for dealing with being hunted and taunted by a demon. My mom is trying to calm me down. She asks me what do you want me to do? I didn't know. I don't know what she can do. I don't know what to do. I just whisper I don't know what to do. Just please don't hang up. She tells me to bang on my partner's door and wake her up, and I do. My partner wakes up and hear rustling in her bedroom and she goes yeah. In a dismissive voice and slowly walks over to the door and opens it. I literally shoved her back in the room, whipped around faster than I ever moved in my life, closed the door and locked it. I explained to her everything I was hearing and we go and sit on the bed. The activity is dying down now, but it is still active enough for her to hear the running upstairs too. It is now 2.45. Another crew that gets off at 3 got to our station to put their truck away and clock out to go home. Me and my partner huddled together, glued to each other's hips, hurried outside together to meet with them out in the building parking lot. It is at this point that we realize, that a completely separate crew from around 23, 11 pm, that night had not only left our truck full of medical equipment and drugs unlocked out in the parking lot in an area known for being a not so great area, but also left our garage door open, giving literally just anybody access to our entire station. Me and my partner are terrified and aren't willing to go back into the station at this point. The crew that's getting off at 3 goes into the station to clock out and when they come back they see us hanging out in our truck. They joke with us for a minute over the ghost and make fun of us for sleeping in the truck for the rest of the shift. We ask them if they heard anything and to which the SR on that crew, who has been there for a long time and staunchly believe in the supernatural, says yeah, it definitely sounds like there is someone walking up there. But he's harmless. Me and my partner are just harmless? That thing is not harmless. They leave and we decided to call for PD to make sure that it wasn't some crackhead that had gotten in while the garage door had been left open. PD got there and searched very thoroughly and found no one and no evidence of anyone being there. It is 4 and we notify our dispatch that station was cleared to be safe by PD and together we venture back inside. We elected to keep the truck in the parking lot so we would have to go back into the garage if we got a call or needed to make a quick escape from the demon. And together we huddled together in the living room with all the lights on until we get off at 7. 
I heard a few minor bumps and bangs but nothing crazy. Things that could be dismissed as house noises and whatnot. I barely slept. And I am not looking forward to going back there later this week. When I was a police officer, I had the ability to bond with folks with mental health issues. They would calm down and the situation would diffuse itself. There was one older woman, she had an apartment, but would wander the streets at all hours. She would scream at passing cars, go into businesses and and start asking for money, and steal people's food etc. She also shoplifted. A lot. Needless to say, she got arrested a lot. When she would be arrested, she would fight like a wildcat, injuring herself and the officers arresting her. Except for me. I would say Annie, you're gonna have to go with me now and she would. The first time arrested her, I asked if she had eaten and she said no. So I stopped at KFC and got her a two-piece and a biscuit. Drove real slow to the jail, so she could eat. After that, when she got caught stealing, she would request me to take her in. I didn't mind, because no one got hurt. Annie didn't bathe real regular, so to freshen up she would splash herself with Stetson after shave. The combination of her body odor and the Stetson could really gag you. Fast forward and I've gotten promoted to sergeant. Right after coming on for afternoon shift, we get a fatal car accident. Annie had walked into the street at rush hour and been run over by a truck. Pretty bad scene, the will crushed her head, and I couldn't help but be depressed, because while she could be a pain, she couldn't help it. It was just sad. When I got promoted, I was issued an unmarked car to replace my marked unit, 361. I was out on the road later that evening when dispatch got a call that someone was breaking into one of the cruisers parked behind the station. They said the person was in the back seat, sitting. I was close and responded. The citizen pointed out the cruise and it was my old one, 361. When I got to it, no one was in it. I opened it up, and was immediately hit with the overpowering smell of Stetson aftershave. When I was just a kid, roughly 14, I am now 20, my dad and I went archery hunting on state game land a couple miles from our house. There were a lot of tram roads from people mining for coal back in the days. That said, we were a mile from the main road where we had our tree stands at, my dad's stand was about 100 yards east of mine. Anyway, it was getting dark so I knew to head out of the stand and meet my dad at the truck. I heard all this crashing and thought one, my dad was meeting. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. My, my stand for once and two, he was making a lot of noise. So I turn my head and boom I see two little bear cubs play fighting with one another. They couldn't have been a year old. Truly a beautiful sight to see. However, what terrified me the most? Where was mama bear? I immediately called my dad freaking out. He said well you're an idiot for staying in the woods this long. Should have been at the truck by now. Just make your way towards me, I'll meet you on the trail. The cubs were far enough out to where I could still see them but there was a good distance between us. With my arrow still notched and my three pocket knife in my hand I climbed out of my stand and tried to be as quiet as possible. I met my dad and we made it home. I have never been more terrified of the woods. Except when I run into a spider web hanging face level in the middle of a trail. Heart attack. Every time. I work in the field of prison corrections, where surveillance is a critical part of our operations. In the supervisor's control booth. I have a clear view of the inmate housing unit control booths where my deputies closely monitor the activities of the inmates. One particular night, as I glanced at the CCTV monitors, I noticed my deputy sitting in the control booth. Curiosity struck me, and I decided to call him to inquire about the person standing behind him. It was an odd sight because there shouldn't have been anyone else present, as everyone had responded to an emergency call. To my surprise, he replied that he was alone in the booth. Confused, I continued watching as the figure remained there, while my deputy diligently searched for the mysterious presence. As soon as he settled back in his seat and picked up the telephone, the figure vanished into thin air. Determined to make sense of what I had witnessed, I hurriedly went to review the security footage, hoping to capture evidence of the strange figure. However, as I meticulously examined the recorded footage, there was no trace of the mysterious entity. It was as if it had never appeared on the screen at all. Ever since that incident, whenever my gaze falls upon that particular camera angle on the monitor, a shiver runs down my spine. The memory of that inexplicable sight lingers, haunting me to this day, even though it happened six years ago. At that time, I was a Presbyterian minister, visiting the bustling city of Chicago with my young son. Our purpose for being there was to explore the wonders of the Museum of Science and Industry, a place that promised to ignite our imaginations and inspire our curiosity. Little did we know that our visit would take an unexpected turn into the realms of mystery and intrigue. As we navigated the labyrinthine corridors of the museum, Marveling at the exhibits that unfolded before our eyes, we inadvertently strayed from the well-trodden path. The hallways seemed to twist and turn, leading us deeper into the heart of the building, away from the familiar attractions that drew the attention of other visitors. Lost in this maze of unfamiliar territory, we stumbled upon a room that seemed out of place, as if it existed in a different dimension from the rest of the museum. The air hung heavy with an aura of secrecy and anticipation. Our eyes were drawn to a large glass case that stood in the center, its contents obscured by a veil of curiosity. 
As we approached the case, our senses tingling with anticipation, we were confronted by a sight that defied explanation. Within the glass enclosure lay small humanoid bodies, their forms eerily preserved for all eternity. They possessed a delicate fragility, yet their presence emanated an otherworldly energy that sent shivers down our spines. Before we could fully process the gravity of what we were witnessing, a group of men descended upon us, their purpose as enigmatic as the beings encased in glass. They demanded my immediate attention, forcibly guiding me to a secluded corner of the room. Papers were thrust before me, demanding my signature without explanation or respite. Fear mingled with confusion as I complied, their stern gazes leaving no room for defiance. I was granted no opportunity to question or resist. The ordeal was over as abruptly as it had begun, and we were allowed to leave, the weight of secrecy heavy upon my conscience. Confounded by the enigmatic encounter, my young son and I departed the museum, carrying with us a story that defied conventional explanation. Years later, in 1974, my son, now grown, recounted the bizarre incident to Shern Larson of the Center for UFO Studies. The memories resurfaced, a reminder of the extraordinary circumstances we had encountered within the Museum of Science and Industry. The details were etched in our minds, forever ingrained in our family's history. To this day, the questions linger. What was the significance of those small humanoid bodies? Who were those men that compelled me to sign those mysterious papers? The answers remain elusive, hidden within the depths of an enigma that continues to captivate the imagination of those willing to explore the uncharted realms of possibility. During my eight years as a U.S. Navy submariner, I experienced an unforgettable incident. On one occasion, I found myself succumbing to exhaustion and dozed off aboard the submarine, which was a rare luxury given the demanding nature of our work. Little did I know that this moment of slumber would lead me into a realm of dreams that I would later refer to as the dreamfish. In my sleep-deprived state, I dreamt of an extraordinary creature that seemed to attach itself to our submarine when we ventured into the depths of the ocean. This dream fish possessed an uncanny ability to manipulate our thoughts and influence our dreams using some form of telepathy or brainwave manipulation. In the dream, I was acutely aware that my thoughts and dreams were being influenced by this enigmatic entity, even though I understood it was not real. The communication with the dream fish occurred through emotional suggestions rather than words, creating a surreal and bewildering experience. It was by far the craziest and most peculiar dream I had ever encountered. Although I firmly believe that the dream fish is merely a creation of my subconscious mind, I must admit that subsequent dreams featuring this elusive creature occurred only when we were below a certain depth. Upon waking, I would instinctively determine the submarine's depth during the period of my slumber, something I hadn't bothered to check or know prior to falling asleep. Does the dream fish truly exist? Logically speaking, it is highly unlikely. However, the allure of its existence lingers in my mind. Perhaps, if you find yourself falling asleep beneath the embrace of the ocean waves, you too might encounter this enigmatic dream fish. Only then will you truly know if it is more than just a figment of the imagination.
My and my friends are into hardcore survival. We got to remote areas of the UK and try to stay for a week. No food, water or technology, but all is kept in our car close by in case of emergency. Anyways, we were in the middle of a forest we frequent because we know it well and in the winter months food is harder to find. The sun had been down for a few hours and the six of us were sitting around a fire, just having general conversations when I heard the worst piercing scream I've ever heard in my life, it sounded like a young adult teenager girl, it was definitely human and for a solid 10 seconds there was just repeated screaming followed by silence. I've been out in the wilds to know what foxes sound like and other animals like and this was nothing like that. Me and some of my friends went to investigate and follow the direction of the scream while two of my friends stayed in camp, we looked for a solid two hours and couldn't find a thing, and headed back to camp. They didn't hear or see anything interesting either. We chalked it up to some animal or something and we all tried to sleep. Obviously because of that experience the good old primal senses went into overdrive and I could hear twigs snapping all around the outside of my shelter, but blamed exactly that and went to sleep after rationalizing to myself about the weird goings on. I was then woken up by one of my mates tapping me and saying he heard muffled whispering and looked genuinely panicked. To put it into context for you I've known this guy for 7 years and I've never seen him spooked like this, even when we go to weird spooky places like the screaming forest great place. I listened for this whispering and didn't hear anything, but I felt uncomfortable enough to wake the rest of the group up and we went home early. To this day I have no idea if it was just another group of people messing with us or if it was just him hearing things or what. I find it odd that in all our times going there we've never encountered anybody before. Nobody in our group has any idea what it really was, but we have fun pondering the possibilities. We've never gone back to that place because of that experience though. I was one of the naval officers fortunate enough to serve near Key West, where our days were filled with maritime duties and the constant vigilance that comes with protecting our nation's waters. It was a day like any other, with the sun casting its golden rays upon the endless expanse of ocean before us. As our motor launch smoothly cut through the gentle waves, our attention was abruptly captured by a sight that defied all reason. Suspended above the water, gleaming in the sunlight, was a cigar-shaped object unlike anything we had ever encountered. It hovered there, a silent enigma against the backdrop of the vast blue horizon. The bewilderment that gripped our hearts was soon interrupted by the arrival of a fighter plane, seemingly materializing out of thin air. With a swift maneuver, it darted toward the unidentified object, causing it to retreat into the heavens, vanishing in mere seconds. The abrupt departure left us stunned, our minds racing to comprehend the inexplicable events that had just unfolded before our eyes. Our motor launch eventually returned to the safety of the dock, the weight of our encounter weighing heavily upon our minds. To our astonishment, as soon as we disembarked, we found ourselves surrounded by a group of men clad in dark suits. Their presence exuded an air of authority, their steely gazes leaving little room for doubt. They swiftly took control of the situation, subjecting us to an interrogation that felt more like an attempt to discredit us than to seek the truth. Hours passed, filled with probing questions and skeptical glances, 
as if our accounts were nothing more than figments of an overactive imagination. The men in dark suits seemed determined to cast doubt upon our credibility, painting our remarkable experience as a fabrication or a misinterpretation of natural phenomena. The weight of their skepticism grew heavier with each passing moment, their relentless pursuit of discrediting our claims becoming more apparent. We were left to wonder, why were they so eager to silence our voices? What was it about our encounter that threatened their carefully constructed narratives? The truth remained tantalizingly out of reach, hidden behind a veil of secrecy and doubt. Though we were released from their clutches, their questioning left an indelible mark upon our memories. We were left with more questions than answers, forever haunted by the enigma that had unfolded over the waters near Key West. In the years that followed, we shared our story with those willing to listen, knowing that the truth deserved to be heard. We refused to let our voices be silenced, determined to shed light on the extraordinary events that unfolded before our eyes. To this day, the memory of that hovering object and the subsequent interrogation lingers within us, a testament to the profound mysteries that lie just beyond the veil of what we consider to be reality. And though our credibility may have been questioned, our conviction remains unyielding, reminding us that some truths are meant to be known, regardless of the attempts to suppress them. Once while I was trekking with my family up a mountain in India. There was no trail or anything we were just climbing. Once we reached the top we saw this little hidden almost stage-like area with a tree a pool and steps. Not that creepy, right? Except the entire tree was covered in old clothes. The pool was too and also with toys and footwear. Not new clothes but quite visibly worn ones. It looked like it had all happened in a hurry but there were close to 200 to 250 clothing items there. It was so scary, we high-tailed it out of there. When we returned to the hotel we asked the staff about it. The manager said that the locals believe the fort on the other side of the hill to be haunted, and that there are various witchcraft cults in the area. He said never to go in the hills at night. This was the creepiest experience ever. One time when I was little, my dad loved to find the most remote of waterways in Canada, I'm talking waterways that weren't even on maps, before cell phone and robust technology, because the fishing was better. We stop on a patch of land to cook our lunch, which was some fish we caught, over a portable grill. While my dad was cleaning the fish, my younger brother and I went exploring. Not too far into the woods, we found this cave-like structure with man-made structures around the entrance. Every hair on my body stood up and I had an overwhelming feeling of being watched, so I grabbed my brother and we immediately ran back to camp. As we were coming back an enormous rock came hurling into the air and almost hits our boat, within inches. My dad turned to yell at us, screaming that we almost hit the boat and to knock it off, but we were running towards him from the opposite direction of the rock trajectory. I saw the WTF look on my dad's face and immediately started to yell about a cave. We noped out so quickly, leaving everything behind, grill and all. My dad and mom were both worked up in a way I've never seen before. We'll never forget that feeling.
An old friend of mine had AK-9 search and rescue operation and had several dogs that had different skills. He had dogs that were trained for different things, one to search for human remains, one that was trained to search for live survivors, including through the rubble of accident or disaster sites, and even a little dog that could detect bed bugs. I would sometimes help in the training of the dogs by hiding in the woods or in hard-to-reach areas, and I love doing it. It's amazing to see these incredible animals working. Plus I love them, I sat with them a lot when he was out searching in different parts of the country for actual victims. One afternoon, we were walking through the park with a cadaver dog, a beautiful German shepherd who was the face of the company, not working, but we did have our K-9 search and rescue attire on when a man approached. He stopped us to ask if he could pet her, which is not uncommon, and she was super friendly and sweet, so we said of course. The weird thing is that the moment he stopped, the dog immediately gave her signal and laid down right by his feet. My friend and I looked at each other almost in horror because the dog was signaling that she detected human remains. She was the most experienced of all the dogs and would not have made a mistake. It was clearly her signal. It spooked us both so much that we cut the conversation short and left quickly. To this day, we have no idea what that was about. I should also add that she was trained to detect human remains. She was taught not to alert on animal remains. I still think about that day a lot. After posting it in the other sub there have been a lot of theories from fellow Redditors. Everything from mortician to rotting toes, or even a dead man's shoes, but none of those reasons would have caused this response and I honestly still have no idea and neither does my friend who is a professional. I think seeing him spooked was even more unnerving. He's an army vet that's been in combat, an EMT, and a firefighter and has seen some shit, so he's pretty calm in every situation. While conducting soil sampling in the vast Australian outback, far removed from any signs of civilization, my companion and I stumbled upon an unexpected encounter. Taking a break for lunch, we sought respite beneath the shade of a tree by the dry creek. As we settled in, having been there for several minutes, a faint sound caught our attention, a whispered PSST, as if someone were attempting to get our notice. Perplexed, we glanced around, fully aware that the likelihood of another person's presence was virtually impossible in such a remote location. Yet, to our astonishment, the voice persisted, beckoning us with a casual, PSST, hey mate, up here. Raising our gaze, we discovered the source of the voice, a sniper perched high up in the very tree that sheltered us. The revelation left us stunned. Little did we know that part of this individual's training involved occupying tree perches for days on end, diligently targeting feral cats. The encounter caught us both off guard, and it appeared that the sniper was equally taken aback to find another human presence in the desolate expanse we found ourselves in. It was a moment of mutual surprise and disbelief, an unexpected meeting in one of the most remote regions of Australia, where the vastness of the land stretches endlessly in all directions. About 10 years ago there was four of us walking through the woods local to us. To get to the best entrance to the woods you have to walk through a crematorium. There was me, Thomas, 
Lisa and Alice and we had planned to go camping in the woods. We had been camping in these woods on many occasions. I had a very easygoing mum so the parents of the other three would call my mum to ask if we was having a sleepover at my house. My mum been nice said yes. We were all 13 at the time. We was walking through the woods to where we normally camped and on the way there we walked past a man with an axe. He didn't speak just stared us out. We walked on and just brushed it off. The night went on as you would expect. Having fun trying to drink and not be sick and just have a laugh with friends. We went in the tent to go to sleep about 3 am. About 20 minutes later we heard what sounded like trees been axed down. The sound echoed around the woods and made us all alert. This went on for about 5 minutes then as soon as it stated it finished. Thomas joked about the man with the axe and Alice got rather upset with him. Time had passed and just as we were about to go to sleep we heard footsteps. They were circling around our tent. We all sat up in shock and started to, to panic. We heard logs of wood been dropped outside our tent. We could feel the wood as it struck the floor. We gained the courage to look out of the tent and as well peered out. He was there. Sat on the floor staring into the tent as we opened it. We all bailed and ran as fast as we could from them woods. All this time we never heard him talk. Ten years on none of us have ever stepped foot near them woods again. This was probably six or seven years ago that this happened, but I do often think about it. So one day I was just having a little me time before work and felt like running inside this fast food place to sit down and have lunch. As I'm in line waiting to order an older man around 50s or 60s, I'm like 23 or 24 mind you, walks up kinda close and starts chatting. Asking me what my fave dessert was at that restaurant. I was being nice and said I like the chocolate cake. Then he asks if I'm from around here to which I just nodded and said yeah. He stated he lived way out in the woods. And I just nodded and kind of started to ignore him while it was my turn to order. I ordered my food and it came up quickly, so I took my tray to a table by a window. I had forgotten about the guy at this point and got up to get condiments and stuff. When I got back to my seat I saw that he was at the table just in front of me facing towards me just staring at me with his food in front of him. I got a bad vibe and moved to the other side of my table so I wouldn't have to face him. I then realized I forgot to get something at the condiment area and got up to go over there. As I foolishly walked past the creepy man's table he looked up at me and said you don't have to sit alone you know I looked at him and said I'm fine, I want to be alone and continued to get what I was getting. When I walked back I went around the other way so I didn't go past his table again. I ate quickly not even sure I finished cause I was just weirded out. I could feel him just staring at the back of my head at this point, so I just got my tray and got up to throw it away and leave. As I walked past his table again, had to walk past to get to the garbage cans he looked up and creepily smiled and said hey well it was nice to meet you and I just threw a dirty look and walked quickly away. I left and kinda sprinted to my car to make sure he wasn't following me. I mean maybe his intentions weren't bad, but I kept getting a weird vibe. I think about it often. Like maybe he was genuinely looking for someone to chat with? I was just looking to eat and chill without being bothered so maybe I could have been too rude.
A few years ago, my sister decided to have a surprise 30th birthday for her husband. Since he missed his senior prom, she decided to make that the theme of the party, and even booked the same hall his prom was hosted in when he was a teenager. Problem is, my brother-in-law grew up in basically the middle of nowhere, a small, rural Missouri town that you have to leave the highway and travel down about 5 miles of heavily wooded backroads to get to. On top of being so isolated, there's a rather large heroin problem out there, both using and dealing. It's a pretty potent cocktail, but my sister was determined to have the party there. The party was at 6, and my original plan was to drive out with my sister and her friends to help set up. My sister was heavily pregnant at the time and needed all the help she could get, and then drive back home with her. However, I got called into work and had to stay until 4, so I told my sister I would drive up by myself as soon as I was done. She warned me that it was pretty easy to get turned around on those country roads, but I had Google Maps to help me and didn't worry about it. The drive up was fine. It was late September, my favorite time of year, and the scenery was surprisingly pretty. I found the place, no problem, and helped with some last-minute setup before my brother-in-law showed up. The party was a lot of fun, and lasted until about 11, when the hall closed. I was one of the last people to leave, having stayed behind to help my sister and her friend stack chairs, brother-in-law had overindulged at the open bar and had to be driven home by his friend. We ended up not actually heading out until almost midnight, and by that point, I was exhausted. My sister once again warned me about being careful on the back roads, but I'd gotten up there okay, so I wasn't too concerned about the drive home. I hugged her goodbye, hopped into my car, and started working my way back to the highway. Unfortunately, in my sleepy state, I misjudged which road I was supposed to turn off as I reached the exit for the highway, and ended up turning down an entirely different road that ran parallel to it instead. It was another heavily wooded and narrow back road. I started looking for somewhere I could pull in to turn around. After driving maybe 200 yards, I spotted a gravel embankment, and decided to pull in there so I could get turned around. I pulled in and made a sharp U-turn so I could head back up the road, and as I lifted my head to check no one was coming, I saw it in my driver's side mirror, a figure in a dark blue t-shirt and jeans, with long black hair and a pale face, illuminated in my brake lights. My heart jumped into my throat as I gasped in fright. But after a second of pure panic, I realized that the pale face was actually a mask, one of those cheap plastic white ones you get at costume stores. I immediately felt like an idiot, it was almost October, so obviously this was a Halloween decoration. This embankment probably lead to someone's driveway, and the family who lived there probably had tons of things just like it in their yard. I took a moment to unclench my hands from the steering wheel and let my heart rate get back to normal, and ended up catching a glimpse of the thing in my mirror again. And I noticed that the embankment didn't lead to a driveway. There was nothing else behind me but tall grass and trees. I briefly wondered why anyone would put a Halloween decoration out in the middle of nowhere. And then the decoration took a step forward. I slammed on the gas and shot forward, eventually getting back to the main road and onto the highway. I don't think I stopped shaking until I reached my town city limits half an hour later. Looking back, 
I definitely wasn't in any danger, I was in a car, all the doors were locked, and I could easily have run down whoever that creep was if they tried anything. If they'd gotten even one step closer when panic mode set in, that's probably what I would have done. It was probably just a kid or local druggie in a crappy mask, giving motorists a good scare and not really thinking about the consequences. But still, it was definitely one of the creepiest moments of my life, and I'm still nervous driving down secluded country roads at night these days. One day I was walking through the woods with my dog and my mom. I live about 20 minutes away from the woods if I'm walking. We wanted to go home but my mom was old and couldn't walk home so she took my car home. I continued to walk home for about 15 minutes. Normally I would be in my neighborhood already but I wasn't. I didn't think anything of it and just kept walking in the direction to get home. At the time I started walking back it was 8.30 but it was 9 now and I still wasn't home. I decided to call my mom to come get me because I thought I was lost. When she came to where I said I was she didn't see me. I decided to go on the SID EOF the road and she finally found me. As we were heading home we weren't going to the right way. When we got home it wasn't our house but my key worked and all of our stuff was in it. The next morning when I woke up I was in my actual house. I asked my mom what happened last night and she said we only went for a walk and came back here. Was it all a dream? Four years ago, I was a sophomore in high school. I hadn't yet gotten my license, and this is right around the time I started to partake. Me and one of my friends in the neighborhood, let's call him Kurt, knew of a creek about a mile and a half from my house which would be a nice smoke spot, but it was a bit of a hike to get there. It was well known that there was a few scattered structures in the woods here, such as a concrete hut, an old barrel fire pit, and a platform built into the trees, all within a few dozen feet of each other. This is all about a quarter mile into the woods, and about a half a mile from any roads. We had been here during the daytime dozens of times before, usually with more friends. We lived in a nice suburban neighborhood, so it didn't seem dangerous to us. Not to mention, nobody else had ever been spotted there before. It had become a pretty common smoke spot for kids our age. We all just assumed that it was an old abandoned homeless structure, but there were still legends passed around by other high schoolers making claims of something sinister. Hooks for hands, serial murderers, inbred cannibals, typical campfire stories. That type of thing. The concrete hut itself was about 7 by 7 by 5 feet, and the ground had been dug out on the inside, making the roof even taller. We had found improvised weapons, food cans, trash, etc. When we first discovered it two years earlier, but nothing of that nature since. Just beer cans, roaches, and cigarette butts scattered around the fire pit from neighborhood kids. The inside was scribbled with sharpie, the top was covered with a tarp, and the whole thing smelled like piss, so none of us dared to enter. Like I mentioned before, there was also a lookout platform built into a tree about 50 feet away. An improvised ladder made of branches lead to the 5x5 five five platform about 20 feet off the ground. The wood was clearly water damaged, so I had never wanted to actually go up there. Back on track, 
This particular October evening, Kurt and I left at about 6 p.m., hoping to get there before dark. We had several other smoke spots that were closer to my house, but nothing quite matched the excitement and mystique of the hut. We make our way through the neighborhood, through some backyards, into a field, and we finally pass through the tree line. Stones laid out across the creek allowed us to cross without getting wet. Right around the time we got there, the sun was almost fully set, and no light was coming through the trees. This was the first time either of us had been there at night. We hiked the last 500 feet uphill, and we could just barely see the hut through the darkness. The atmosphere had us both uneasy, and we talked with the quietest whisper possible. We didn't want to approach the structure, so we decided to smoke about 50 feet from the hut, right on the edge of the bluff we just climbed. I decided to shift a few feet over to more even footing before we started, and I felt my foot snag on a fishing line running about a foot of the ground, tied to the tree next to me. A loud clang was made as the line yanked an empty metal bucket into metal scrap planted in the ground, almost like a makeshift alarm. We hear someone moving down from the platform in the tree, about 20 feet away from us, and drop into the leaves below. We take off down the bluff, sliding on our asses and hitting trees. We still hear scurrying and grunting behind us. We get to the bottom and sprint through the creek. I trip on the loose rocks below me, and fall into the freezing cold water before bolting up and continuing to run. About a second later, we hear splashes behind us. At this point, we clear the tree line, and are in a quarter mile of open field. We sprint as fast as we can away. Kurt and I are hurt, out of breath, and the person is clearly catching up. We can hear them right behind us breathing heavily, and their loud footsteps growing closer and closer. We sprint through someone's backyard, and we hear their dogs start barking. We finally run into the middle of the street, and a car slams on their brakes. Kurt and I screech to a halt to avoid the car. We turn around to see somebody standing just outside of the floodlights of a nearby house, before they turn around and run away back towards the forest. We apologize to the driver, ditch the weed, and I called my sister to come pick us up. We explained to her what happened, begged her not to tell my parents, and we never returned to that creek again.